0: Okay. okay, somebody's coming. Hello, how are you? Just in time. Just in time. Okay, let's see. We got, uh, you want to start us off with Psalm 119?
1: Yep. Verse 81. 81. Calf, which is open palm, bend, open, allow, pain. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say... When will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig dig pitfalls for me, contrary to your law. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for men persecute me without cause. They almost wipe me from the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. Preserve my life according to your love, and I will obey the statutes of
0: your mouth. A deal. Rick, this is for you later. I just okay. want you to see That's from Chris. Hey, Chris on mission work. Okay, she got that for you. Um, so don't forget it. And let's see here. I got uh, my friend Gordon asked us to pray for uh, folks left abandoned in old folks homes. He's got, uh, he emailed me about this week and he had some concerns about that. So we want to remember those who are you know it's just wrong what happens with old folks we're supposed to be taking care of the older people according to the Bible and we just shovel them shovel them off into uh, into uh, old folks homes and forget, forget them her. so we don't want to do that and he's right about that yeah. and um, we have um, a request from Judy who attends on Sunday mornings and just you know this is something that if anybody can help great if you can't she completely understands it but She's got some friends that uh, uh, have to move out of their apartment. They do not have enough money to, uh, for first month and all that for their, uh, uh, their move. And uh, so she called me kind of in distress over that, and I promised that I would mention that. So if anybody can help out with that, they can email me, and uh, I would give, them, uh, give you her information. You can contact her di- directly. Um, what I have saved right now is for the people that are coming in for Sunday. We've got some missionaries oh, wow. coming in, and uh, I've obligated money to them for uh, for the getting started. But what we're going to see on Sunday are a couple of people that are really going to need people that are willing to help them monthly. And that means as a, a long-term commitment, because they're going to Papua New Guinea, and they have the highest budget I have ever seen for missionaries going overseas. And it all stems from the fact that Papua New Guinea is an isolated location and the insurance is exceedingly high. So um, uh, it's incredibly high. I think their deputation is going to take them longer than it actually took them to go through their uh, training, and their training has been the past three years, yeah. maybe a little more than that. So God, uh, do anything. They're, yeah, God I said that just a couple hours ago. I was cleaning the uh, bathrooms mm-hmm. back there and talking to the Lord, and I said, if you want them in Papua New Guinea, you're going to yeah. supply th- their mm-hmm. uh, funds. There's no doubt about it, but they've got a long, long request ahead, and unless there's somebody that's just exceedingly wealthy out there that can fund a giant budget, but uh, that's probably not going to be the case. They're going to have to get to many churches, and they're going to have to do that but today uh what is today it's 18th oh it's my daughter's birthday tomorrow isn't that nice how special oh, um robin's birthday's Friday. who the 19th is her birthday yeah it's robin's birthday yeah it's also elaine's birthday so we got all oh, kinds of birthdays wow. going on tomorrow but um yeah my daughter's going to be 31 years old but today is the 18th let me read this and then we'll get into the bible class january 18th you never know how god will answer Amy Carmichael was born in 1867 in Mills Isle County down north, northern Ireland. And I probably pronounce that wrong. At the age of 12, she was sent to a Wesleyan Methodist boarding school in Yorkshire, England. There at age 15, during a children's service, she heard the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, for the Bible Tells Me So. In the quiet moments following the song, Amy realized that in spite of her mother's teaching that Jesus loved her, She'd never invited him into her life. In his great mercy, the Good Shepherd answered the prayers of my mother and my father and many other loving ones and drew me, even me, into his fold. After the death of her father, she went to England to live in the home of Robert Wilson, who was a co-founder and chairman of the Keswick Convention, where is that? A summer gathering of English evangelicals. Under Wilson's influence, Amy became interested in missions. In 1893 she set sail for Japan as the first Keswick missionary with the Church Missionary Society. After spending less than 2 years in Japan and Ceylon which is in the Philippines I believe, she was forced to return to England because of poor health. In November 1895 Amy again left England to work with the Church of England Zanana Missionary School in South India. Traveling on an evangelistic trips throughout India she became aware that Many young Indian girls were offered by parents or guardians as temple prostitutes, a practice that was later outlawed. Touched by their plight, Amy began rescuing young girls from this fate. By 1901, she, along with the Indian colleagues and converts from her many trips settled in Donovore. In 1926, she founded the Donovore Fellowship, a home and school for rescued children. Here, the Indian children were educated and trained to serve as, serve God as Christian nurses, teachers, and evangelists. Amy was known at Donavur Fellowship as Ama or Mother. As the leader of the fellowship, she set high standards for herself and her colleagues. She established the Sisters of Common Life, which approached being a Protestant order. Vows were not binding for life, but if a sister married, she was required to leave the association. So committed was Amy Carmichael to India that from the time she arrived in 1895, she never returned to England. On October 24, 1931, Amy visited a Donover dispensary and was concerned about the fellowship, financial support. Seeking God's guidance regarding the money, she fell silent for a long time and then prayed, Do anything, Lord, that will fit me to serve thee and help my beloveds. Later that day, she was driven to a house she had rented for another dispensary. There in the darkness, she fell into a newly dug pit, breaking her leg, dislocating an ankle, and twisting her spine. As a result of her fall, she was bedridden her last 20 years. Yet, from her bed, she remained in charge of Donifor and also wrote the prose and poetry through which the work of Donifor became known around the world. In 1938, Carmichael believed that God gave her a promise that she would die in her sleep. This she did on January 18th, Mm -hmm. 1951. Mm -hmm. Announcing her death, the bells of the house of prayer at Donover played the music she had requested, to which her words had been set, which are, One thing I have desired, my God of thee, that will I seek, thine house home to me. I would not breathe an alien other air, I would be with thee, O thou fairest fair. For I would see the beauty of my Lord and hear him speak, who is my heart's adored. O love of loves, and can such wonder dwell in thy great name of names, Emmanuel? Thou with thy child, thy child at home with thee, O love of lovers, I love, I worship thee. And they ask you, do you believe that Amy Carmichael's fall in 1931 was God's answering to her prayer earlier that day? Do anything, Lord, that will fit me to serve thee and to help me help my beloveds? Do you share such a prayer? Do you dare share such a prayer? And they say, uh, Luke 138, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to accept whatever he wants. So good stuff from this day in history. And we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for the chance to come here and to share in your word, to uh, share in your goodness, and we thank you for the testimony of people like that that uh, are so faithful, even with the uh, giving of their lives for missionary causes, and uh, we have some missionaries coming this Sunday who are going to need your assistance, and they know that, they're relying on you, and they're going to see this to the end, and I would pray that you would do whatever it takes to get them to uh, the field and to bringing people to a saving knowledge of christ and lord we uh certainly pray for those that are in this church that are not well and that includes all the people online that are watching right now brother nick who i talked to today is uh uh having his own troubles out in california and we certainly pray for him and lord we ask that you just be with each person here that has needs whether they're physical or financial or or whatever spiritual needs that you would be with them and help them through their times of trouble. And finally, Lord, we would ask that during this uh, study tonight, we would not depart from what is sound and proper in doctrine and that what we discuss will be uh, in accord with your will for us and uh, for the issues that are brought to our eyes from the book of Romans. We thank you for this wonderful book, Lord. and We just uh, long to get into it. And so we commit the rest of our time to you in this capacity, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ah, okay, here we go. We're in Romans 9, <coughs> verse 14. <laughs> what then shall I say? Is God unjust? Not at all. Oh boy, that was short. I didn't even get my book open. <laughs> yeah, didn't, wow, that was real short <laughs> verse. Okay, yeah, let's see here, 9:14. Let me see if it says the same. No, it's very close. What shall we see then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. So he's asking another question. He's already gone through several, and we're going into another one. To understand why Paul asks this, (coughs) excuse me, we simply need to go back to the previous verses concerning election. Remember, we talked about the doctrine of election. Okay, God chose Isaac, not Ishmael. God chose Jacob and not Esau. God said he loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. Is this somehow a demonstration of God being unrighteous? That's his obvious question, okay? Paul's answer is an emphatic, absolutely emphatic, certainly not. He uses the widely translated term me genoito. The concept is unthinkable. Remember the analogy, and analogy that Paul has been making. He's saying that Not all of those who are physically descended from Israel are actually of Israel. Remember, we talked about that last week. Those Jews who reject the idea of Jesus as the Messiah still hold fast to their Jewish identity. We see it all the time. We see it daily, right? Trusting that this brings about salvation. They're trusting in their genealogy and their heritage. They're trusting in a law which is obsolete. It's fulfilled in Christ. They're trusting in all of these things instead of trusting in christ and uh, one of the things that they do i saw a, a video posted today on one of the sites i go to uh our friend lisa out in um, uh, australia hi lisa she's probably up watching this right now she um i know that because she always posts this and i see it the next morning when i go to her site uh, but uh she um posted something that uh i've seen it before other people talking about this in israel where they are Messianic Jews. They've called on Christ. They believe in Christ, and they go out and tell people about Christ. And what do the uh, Hasidic Jews, you know, these the Haredim they call themselves, they, they really persecute them. I mean, they, they belittle them. They put their picture up. They accuse them of, you know, doing the devil's work and on. It just it, It's very sad how badly they abuse these people, and they get death threats, and they, it, it, it's, it's a difficult thing. They are not right with God. They may be Jews, and I support Israel 100%, but I am not a dual covenantalist like John Hagee out in Texas. He says that Jews are saved under the old covenant, and everybody else is saved through the new covenant. That is absolute heresy. That is 100% condemning people to hell by saying that it gives them security that they're doing the right thing, and those Christians don't mind that we stay Jews they will never be anything but Jews, but they need to come to Christ to be fulfilled Jews. And so we need to remember that. We need to not get into that type of theology where where uh, the Jews can feel secure in their Jewishness. Mm-hmm. They must come to Christ in order to be saved, and Jewishness is going to save nobody. Okay, all it does is it's a different category. Uh, yesterday I had somebody uh, say something that I said in my sermon this past week about women not preaching and, uh, the Bible doesn't authorize it. And she says, Well, he's taking this out of uh, context. But Paul says elsewhere that there's no male or female. And my answer is, I bet you if uh, we were to compare, there would be a difference. Okay? In other words, just because it says there's now no distinction between male and female, Jew and Gentile, doesn't mean there isn't a difference. Okay? Jews are Jews, Gentiles are Gentiles. Women don't stop being women when they come to Christ. It means positionally in Christ. We are all one, but it has absolutely nothing to do with uh, being a female or being a male. Okay, there are different priorities that God has set. The Jew, the Gentile, the head of the house is what? The female or the male? It's the male, right? And the head of the male is Christ, Christ. Absolutely. So there is a hierarchy. God has established this. I would love to have been born a Jew. Wow. You know what? I could be a, a specialist in prophecy and just say, my name is Shalimi, and people would send me millions of dollars, right? Because I'm Jew. i I'm not. I'm a Gentile. That's just the way it is, okay? But yeah, I stood behind somebody when I was coming back from Israel, and his name was Shalimi, and I've always remembered that. So anyway, name always. Well, what was Solomon's name in Hebrew? Anybody? Shlomo. Shlomo. Right, right, right. Yeah, there's no N at the end of it, but anyway, it, it sounds funny to us, but his name is Shlomo. Anyway, so Shlymy and Shlomo are brothers. Um, so anyway, um, he uh, uh, they're trusting in their Jewishness. They trust that that's what brings about <coughs> salvation. Mm-hmm. He is now shown oh before I go on new t-shirt from my friends out and, and I won't say where but uh, Mike and Deb Love it. I'll be Jesus. back oh, I saw that and I almost broke in tears I <laughs> well just go online and just type in I'll be back t-shirt and I'll bet you it'll come up and, uh, just I couldn't believe I saw that and I've been so excited I bet. And, uh, oh wow so and he will be back praise the Lord didn't mean to interrupt but he's coming back and probably sooner than we might realize oh wow okay he is now shown the this is a (laughs) false premise and that apart from the messiah also known as the the messiah also known as the come on burke we talked about christ yes also known as the christ their heritage has no bearing on their status before god okay messiah means in hebrew or the word messiah it means to anoint okay christos in greek means to anoint it's exactly the same thing there's no difference between messiah and christ But because the Jews use the term Messiah, I always say that Christ is the Messiah of the Jews. He's the Christ of the nations. But it's the same term. There is no difference. Um, you will hear uh, when uh, John Hagee, and I hate to keep bringing him up, but he's got such bad theology about the issues we're looking at. He said that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. And the way that he did that is he built up a, what's called a straw man argument. He built up a false meaning of the word Messiah. He said that that means somebody that comes as a conquering king, which that's not at all what it means. But he built that argument up, and then he said, see, Jesus never claimed to be the conquering king. Okay. Completely false, absolutely false. What he did is he built that straw man argument. But even Jesus in John chapter 4, somebody asked him, Are you the Messiah? Or uh, when Messiah comes, she said, and he said, I who am speaking to you am he. And then a couple verses later, he calls himself, the, or she calls him, the Christ. Mm-hmm. So they're using the term obviously synonymously. And he calls himself in his high priestly p- prayer in John. Jesus the Christ, right? He explicitly says that about himself. And then five or six billion more times in the New Testament, he is called the Christ. Okay? So you cannot listen to people that say things like that. They twist words in order to come up with very, very faulty theology. We cannot um, do that.
1: He's recanted
0: that. You know what? He recanted it, but he still is not recanted dual covenant theology. The Jews are saved through, right? Doesn't make any difference. And that's because he got caught on it. He said it openly. It's taped uh, in tape. And the reason why he recanted it is because it's the stupidest thing on the planet. Anybody that would say that Jesus never cl- claimed to be the Messiah is crazy. So, yes, he had to recant that. But he has not recanted his dual theology. Don't talk to his followers. The what?
1: Don't talk to any Oh, no, they, they love they, him. They're still like saying, no, 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 Christ never said it. It's like, okay.
0: Absolutely. They, when people it. are taught something by a teacher that they respect, they will follow that person right off the hill. Yeah. Right. And that's right. why I say you right. always check what you're taught, including after this class, mm-hmm. you go and you check mm-hmm. it out because you are responsible yeah. for your doctrine. <laughs> James 3.1 says that the teacher is more responsible, but the person listening is not for free you. from for guilt. Right. Absolutely. So um, we have uh, has no bearing on their status before God. None. He has erected Paul a box around them meaning the Jews, and shown them from the very scriptures which established them as a people, (laughs) excuse me, that they are excluded from the promise if they reject their Messiah. Excluded. There is no salvation, there is no other name under heaven given by which man may be saved. What's that? Acts 4.12, I think. That is it. Thank you. I got confirmation from the Amen corner over there. And now he will show that they cannot claim that this demonstrates unrighteousness with God. They cannot claim that because they could say, well, that's not right. We're the Jews. We're saved automatically by default because of our Jewishness. And he is going to show that's not true. In fact, it would be unthinkable even without his coming reasons. He's going to give reasons, but it would be unthinkable, anyways. The very notion that the God of Abraham could be unrighteous is contrary to everything that their scriptures reveal. Everything. He is absolutely righteous. He is 100% just. He is He is merciful. He is gracious. Those things do not change. They don't grow. They don't decrease in any way, shape, or form. God is love. God doesn't love you more than he loves any other person, and he doesn't love any other person more than he loves you. God is love. His love is unchanging. The problem isn't with God. The problem is with us. He cannot show his love to the objects of his wrath. They must become the objects of his uh, affection first. As I said, you've got a column here. The column isn't moving. You move from one side to the other of it. You're on the A side. Now you're on the B side. The column doesn't move. God is unchanging. He is unmovable. He is what we would call the unmoving mover, he set everything into motion, and yet there's no change in him. God is spirit. No change in God. We have to remember that. We have to remember that God does not change. He is spirit. He is unseeable. He will always be that way. Christ is the one that—every time I bring this up, I get four emails on it. Well, how, how can you say we'll never see God the Father? It's because we'll never see God the Father, okay? He is spirit we will always be temporal beings forever we will be temporal beings we, that separates when we die but we are going to be raptured we're going to be united with the body it is Christ who reveals the unseen father ceaselessly endlessly for all eternity okay in the book of Revelation you see somebody sitting on the throne that's Jesus you see a lamb coming to the middle of it that's Jesus everything that you are seeing is a type of Christ performing the redemptive work of God all the way through the book of Revelation every time that God is seen in some uh, capacity it is Christ now when uh, one that somebody will inevitably email about unless I bring it up is in the book of Acts when Stephen was stoned and he was just dying what did he say? I see Christ at the right I at the right hand of God the Father that doesn't mean that he sees God the Father it means that he sees Christ in the position of power. The right hand in the Bible signifies the position of power he's not saying God he's seeing Christ at the right hand of the power in other words he is in authority over all things and guess what he was doing when he was stoned he was standing right well Christ sat down he finished his work but he stood up to bring in the first martyr that is a wonderfully comforting thought to think that Christ would actually do that to stand up from his throne and say I'm welcoming you and guess what? He's going to do it again for the very last person coming into the church as well. He's going to stand up. He's going to descend, and he's going to call us home. So really wonderful symbolism there. Anyway. Um, the what? Malachi, Malachi, I, the Lord your God, change not, or do not change is the one I was going to quote, but same thing. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I do not change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's right, or always. Yeah, 13.8 or is it 13.5 anyway it's one of them might be 13.5 anyway um so we have um uh, no unrighteousness in god absolutely not his argument for the righteousness of god meaning paul will be found in those scriptures he's going to go back and he's going to cite scripture he always does he always goes back to the fountain remember there was no new testament when he was writing his letters because they are the new testament okay when he says what does scripture say he's citing the old testament we can get all we need now from the old testament we, they had the information, but they couldn't understand what it was pertaining to. It even says that what uh, the prophets, when they were writing these things, longed to understand what they were writing. Okay, they didn't, because Christ hadn't come to fulfill what they had written. You know, it says even angels long to know these things. But the word of God is given to man. It's given to the sons of men in order to understand the work of Christ. When he came, all of that suddenly became knowable. It became understandable. His argument for the righteousness of God is found in those scriptures. He, taking their truthfulness, meaning the scriptures, as an axiom, will use them to make his case. However, from a scientific and philosophic standpoint, we can deduce that God cannot be unrighteous. Now, I could put that in the positive and say God must be righteous, but I said it in the negative because there are some things that God cannot do. God cannot make a two into a three, okay, unless he adds one, but a two is always going to be a two. A square will never be anything but a square. He can't make a square triangle, right? God cannot be unrighteous. There are certain things that God cannot do. When it says that with God all things are possible, it means from a human perspective. He can do anything that we can not do, such as saving ourselves. He can do it for us. But there are certain things that God is limited to not doing logically, okay? Okay. Science has demonstrated that time, space, and matter all occurred in a sequence. No, that's right, all at once. Not in a sequence, but all at once. I like the snapping there. Very good. They had a beginning, okay? Everybody got that? There was a beginning to time, space, and matter. Einstein proved it, and then he realized that his idea of God, which was a Benedict Spinoza pantheistic God, could not be true. He realized it then it could not be true, and he spent the rest of his life working on the theory of everything. He was on his deathbed working on the theory of everything because he could not accept that there is the God of the Bible that was before time, space, and matter, and he created all things. Pantheism means that all is God. Frustrated okay. by his own Frustrated by his own intelligence and his inability to say, Jesus is the answer to this dilemma all right and that's just something that is it was in him and you know and maybe on his very last moment before he died he suddenly realized "Ah, I need Jesus I've heard about him my whole life he's spoken about him but all of a sudden he you know it may have had that epiphany well but we don't know he died and uh, as far as we know there was no conversion to Christ when he did so whatever but uh Uh, These things, time, space, and matter, all happened at one moment, and they happened simultaneously, and they had a beginning. If there is a beginning to this, then what does that mean? There is a beginner. Nothing can create itself. Time, space, and matter can't just simply say we're going to suddenly exist and create themselves. Because logically, if that was the case, then what? They would have existed before they existed right okay impossible okay it's a logical contradiction so there had to be a beginner they could not create themselves oh i just said that or they would have existed prior to their existence okay therefore if they had a beginning there was a beginner we call him god that's right we call him god all right this god Is outside or actually probably better before time space and matter he's before it he's beyond it he is outside of it in all ways he's not limited to what he created okay he's spirit this is matter this is physical okay he is beyond it he is before it he is outside of it but he's also within it okay he's actively working in creation like a painter would work on a painting okay he is in there there's imminency to god working in creation but the main thing is that he is not a part of creation okay in any way shape or form he is completely other than what he has created okay there's no material aspect to god he's perfectly simple that means without parts there are no working parts in god if there were parts in god that would imply a change if there's a change that means the time is going by if time is going by then it ain't the god of the bible right because the god of the bible created time all right and just some of you have not heard this but i want to make sure you understand what is this this is chalk but what is it it begins with an m ends with an adder material yes it's Min- material it's matter yeah. okay and so <laughs> this is doing something right now what is it doing
1: occupying space. it's
0: occupying space and then it's also doing something else degrading it's degrading but what happens what is degrading it's it's
1: Thank time.
0: time, thank you. So you it is occupying space. It also has got space contained within it. In other words, you've got a atom and you've got the uh the protons and neutrons and the electrons swirling around. It's ninety nine point nine 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 percent space. Even the densest thing that we know of gold or whatever or whatever the densest thing is, it's mostly space that's in there. Okay, but this is matter, and then you have time and you have space. Okay. All three of these occurred. Simultaneously. If there was no time and there was matter, then this wouldn't be getting older. And thus, matter wouldn't exist. You see that logically? Mm -hmm. All right. If this was here and there was no such thing as space, then this wouldn't be here. Okay. Everything is joined together in time, space, and matter. God is not. God cannot have parts because if he has parts, then he is a part of this. Okay. So you have to remember God is perfectly simple in his being. He is what we would call pure act or actuality there is no change in God he knows everything immediately and intuitively he is completely knowledgeable perfect in his being in all ways shape and form okay perfectly simple this must be so because I just said this but I'm gonna read it now if God had parts there would be time associated with those parts okay therefore God must be perfectly simple in this respect there is also no possibility for a change in God back to Malachi back to uh, Hebrews 13 He is pure actuality. He has no potentiality or potential to become or change. What potential means is that that is a chair. It has the potential of me sitting on it. It has the potential of being thrown out. It has the potential of the seat ripping. All of those things are potential. They may happen. They may not. But it has the potential for him. My beard, which is steadily getting grayer, is because it has the potential to turn gray. It also has the potential to grow longer. Okay. it also has the potential to get caught on fire. Every single thing that can happen to this beard is potential. All right. And anything could happen to this beard. A gerbil could run across the thing, climb up my thing and start chewing on it. That's potential. Think of whatever you can think of. That is potential. Okay. God has no potential in any way, shape or form. You can shave it. I could shave it. There is no potential for that. <laughs> that is my beard is pure act when it comes to me <laughs> shaving. Okay, maybe I would. I did it once before, and uh, actually I did it twice. Or but a yeah, a hammer drill. That was the first time I shaved it, and uh, that was the world's quickest shave. Oh One three hundredth of a second, and it was off, absolutely gone. So yeah. scream when you do. No, it was too fast. I didn't even, it was just done. As soon as it got caught, those things are spinning really, really fast. And as soon as it got caught in it, it just tore right off my face. It was just done. So, oh, you, you didn't hear about that. Okay. I was at the mall putting in a new handrail for the, the mall, you know, where the bike shop is. Sure. And it, you look there, there's four posts and there's four bolts for each post. Okay. 16 holes. I did all hammer drill you got to do this because it gets the concrete out mm-hmm. all right well i was doing that and i got the hole number 16 and i my hand was tired um, so instead of doing that i got close to blow it out and it just it pulled it right off my face so yes anyway so that's the story uh, there you go okay we don't need to bring that up anymore uh, but there is no potential for me shaving at this point in time all right um, although lothar when he was staying with us he left razors On the sink when he left. So I think he was giving me a hint. I don't know. Anyway, um, okay, so God is pure act, He has no potential to change, to become God is. Just remember, God is. Okay, the Bible bears this out. I am who I am. Actually, I went through it, took a whole sermon to do that verse. I think it was one verse. The best translation, and I've read them all. I've read every possible translation of what it says in the Hebrew. And actually, the King James Version did get that right. It says, I am that I am. It doesn't say who I am. It says, I am that I am. And I can't think of a more perfect translation of those words into English. Okay? It is It is very well. Somebody sat down and thought that through, and it probably, this is my guess, I could be wrong, it probably came from the Geneva Bible. I could check it really quickly, but whoever thought that through originally, the word that is better than who, okay? I am that I am. If you want to understand it, I talk about it for quite a while in the sermon, just go back and watch that, or I can send you that, the the written material, but it is, it is as good as you're going to get with that translation. Anyway, um, if God could become— If there was any potential in him at all, then he would be lacking attributes associated with the very concept of God. This is why the Bible is the only book on this planet that accurately describes God. Mm -hmm. There's no other book that does. When you talk about the God of the Quran, he's vindictive and he is changing. Mm -hmm. That is impossible with God. We do not need the Bible to understand this. Aristotle understood these things about the creator outside of the covenant people of Israel and several hundred years before the coming of Christ he knew these things and people since then have figured these things out okay but they don't have special revelation which is what we need to get to Christ okay that is what will bring salvation but understanding the nature of God is not something that is beyond our ability to grasp okay but what we need to do from that point is to go down the list of religions in this world and say, well, that doesn't match. That's not possible. That's not possible. Talking about impossible, but it's still very cool. And I'm going to tell you about it because if you want to watch something that is really exciting, um, I, I I didn't know if it was a movie or what. I just started watching it on Netflix. It's called the something like the, uh, the finding of the unbelievable, something like that. It's a shipwreck that these people were out, digging up. And it, at the beginning, you didn't know if it was a movie or if it was a documentary. It turned out to be a documentary of a, a ship that they actually found. <laughs> it's, it goes back to the Roman first century, and there are myths about this ship that were written, and these people found it. And there it was a ship full of idols. And one of them is this gold they found more gold on this ship than you could possibly imagine it, it, it is astonishing it was all taken up to italy and they had it on display there but they had a disc of the sun god that was like this big solid gold it must have weighed hundreds of pounds and it was real beautiful to see but that is not the nature of god god doesn't have parts okay we can look up at the sun and we can say there's heat emanating from it and all that it's not god Okay, We can logically deduce these things. But if you want to watch a really cool movie, watch that. Something about the the, something of the unbelievable. Um, If you ask me, if you send me an email, it's still fresh on my uh, Mm -hmm. just watched list, and I can send it to you. It was very interesting. It was a great documentary, and uh, it's just something that came out this past year. I mean, if they just found this thing and they – marvelous stuff that they found. But once again it's all idolatry and stuff of Romans, but the process of getting it out of there it was just very fascinating. <laughs> so, anyway, so okay.
1: Yes. Um Genesis one twenty six. Let let us make them in image. Right. Okay. That's
0: pretty clear. It's very clear and it's so, the same as Isaiah six verse right. whatever, where who right. will go okay. for us? It's like
1: okay, so how many not many people probably have the mind of Aristotle and stuff like right? That, but still it's like, okay, once you start realizing that okay, God is, like, outside of his creation, yet, okay, that's God in the cloud. The cloud was there, and now it's gone, now the fire is there. It's like, okay, it that, that couldn't have been God. It's like, you know, don't they make that connection? I, I, they,
0: they don't make the connection, and that's what, especially in Isaiah 44, he speaks about that, the people just simply have no understanding. I'm pretty sure it's Isaiah 44, where he talks about the person that takes a tree, he cuts off the tree, he makes an image, part of it he uses to burn Mm -hmm. in order to get warm. He says, ah, I'm warm. And the other half, he bows down and he worships it. And he says, they don't understand. They have no reasoning in their head because the world has blinded them. Mm -hmm. And the problem with thinking about God, like Aristotle did, is that it actually takes real hard work I never would have thought of those things. What I was taught by Norman Geisler about potentiality and actuality and the perfectly simple nature of God, I wouldn't have thought of those things, right? And that's why Einstein continued to work for the theory of everything because he had a picture in his mind of a pantheistic God. And so it didn't fit with what he thought, even though he knew that that was a correct analysis of time, space, and matter. So, no, the answer is people do not understand And most of it is because they are simply blinded by their own inability to want to understand. If we thought things through, if we were willing to say, I am going to contemplate my creator and nothing else, you would be able to come up with that. But we get so attacked by the world and by what's going on in the world that we don't make the time for it. I've got to get to work. I've got, you know, my kid is sick. and And everything just keeps taking away our time. And that is especially true nowadays with what? reading the Bible, <coughs> devoting ourselves to the Lord. Somebody emailed me about having read the Bible for the first time this week, a person that I hear from from time to time. I was so thankful for it. And I think it was her I told, but I've told a couple other people as well. If you don't have time to read the Bible, then get a audio Bible, put it in your car and listen to it. And in, everybody drives 30 minutes a day. I don't know anybody that doesn't, right? 30 minutes a day, you're going to be done with the Bible twice in this year. Yeah. And if you drive 30 minutes to and 30 minutes mm-hmm. from, you're going to be done with it four times this year. Mm-hmm. We, we're that excuse. Mm-hmm. It, it's free. You can download it for free on the internet. If you don't want to do it, then let me know and I'll buy it for you. Whatever. You should be in the Bible. And if you get up and read 30 minutes a day, and then you go to bed and you read, oh, I know who it was that I said it to recently, was a, a, a missionary friend of mine. Anyway, it, we're without You've excuse read for it? not reading. What? You've
1: never read it before?
0: No, it wasn't her. Right. It, I, it was a her, and she had read it, oh. Th- this other person. But I was just making a, a, a talk about how do we get our life right? Does the Bible give us every answer for our lives? No. Yes. no. It gives us general guidelines of every answer for our lives the more that we understand the general principles which are outlined in the Bible and you ain't gonna get it one time or two times or 30 times the more you read it the more you will get it forever I mean literally we could read every day of our life and we will still get something more what happens is it becomes a part of you and you start to make right decisions because you have this foundation of reading this word okay so that's what's important is reading the word and just letting it fill you and the more you do that the more your decisions will become in line with what the lord wants that doesn't mean you have to be a great scholar you don't need to read everything or remember everything and i dare say that nobody would remember everything in the bible anyway except for maybe burke but anyway so here we go if god could become he would be lacking attributes associated with the concept of god that's what i talked about he is god is Further, any change would imply movement of time. We talked about that. But he created time, and therefore he has no potential to change. Okay? I talked about Islam for a second. We're going to go on and we're going to talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses very quickly. God created Jesus, and then Jesus created everything else according to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay? And that's how they justify Colossians chapter 1, where it says, By him all things were created. They insert the word other. By him all Other things were created because God created him. Once again, that is impossible because a contingent being goes back to to the 12 first principles. A contingent being cannot create another contingent being. Logic will tell you that. If you think it through, a necessary being is the only thing that can create. Okay, and a necessary being, meaning God, cannot create another necessary being because if he did, then they would both be unnecessary, right? You can't have two necessary beings. So if you just think through the first principles of what logic tells you, you will come to the conclusion that there is one God. There is only one God. And He is Jesus Christ is not a created being, but he is God. He must be God, or this isn't the word of God, and we might as well go do something else. Jehovah's Witnesses are going down the wrong path. They have missed the boat. OK, it's very important to understand that. And once you understand this nature, then you can say, OK, now I know these things. And from there, all I need to do is keep researching until I find the document that explains these things. And I will know that I have the right document and that he's speaking to me. Voila, pages of the Bible. OK, so is, that,
1: is that how you, you went from Jehovah?
0: No, not at all. I went from Jehovah's Witness. I was there for three months because I'd never seen anybody pick up a right. Bible and read it in church. Right. But I had 10 hours a day in my store to read the Bible. And I did that. Right. And in three months, I had read it. Let's see here. Three months, uh, once a week, there's 12. So 12 times, right? All right? And by the t- time I was done with that, everything that they said during those three months or mm-hmm. maybe two months, what, however long it was, everything didn't make any sense. I knew that they were wrong. It it was obvious and then they would keep coming in every Monday and I'd ask them and finally the reason why I knew that they were wrong comes back to the book of Revelation chapter 1 and then chapter 22 Mm -hmm. there was a question I had and always they would do the same thing but this time he literally turned as white as this paper
1: yeah
0: and he said I've got to go ask the elders and he left and I never saw him again because that's what they do they always ask the elders they're not willing to say you know what this is wrong this is absolutely wrong. Question, so. Yeah, it was a question. I set him up, the poor guy. Oh. I, it, it was, oh. I really did. Let me read you what it says here, because I, I, you want to set up a Jehovah's Witness. I pushed him
1: to salvation. You know, <laughs> and,
0: well, salvation is, yeah, it, may, it didn't, because I saw him years later or sometime he later, and still he still is. hadn't. But um, it says here in... Um, uh, I I can read this here. First, it says in verse 8 of Revelation 1, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, Mm -hmm. says the Lord who has come and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Okay, now, in the alexandrian text it's different than the byzantine text and so it says something a little bit different there and that they use the alexandrian text so they can say well this is better than that and that's not correct okay but it also says what they say is verse eight here i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end says the lord god or says the lord who is Mm -hmm. and was come the almighty they said that's god speaking and then down here it says do not be afraid i'm the first and the last i am he who lives and was dead because you ask them, when did God die? And they say, well, that's not, that's Jesus speaking down here. So this is the Lord speaking, and this is Jesus down here, right? That's their answer. And I said, well, then, and I asked him very clearly. I said, so that's God, and that's Jesus. yes. And we went through that. And then I took him to the uh, last page of the Bible, and it says in one sentence, uh, verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last.
1: Wraps it all up.
0: It wraps it all up in one verse. And he, like I said, is white as a sheet and he left. Ah. So it's obvious that it's not God here speaking and Jesus here speaking. Mm -hmm. It's one. He identified himself two different ways there. And then he identified himself in one verse here. So anyway, but that was just one of countless errors that they have. Countless. But that was just a convincing one for them that they are on the wrong path. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yes. Are they safe? Probably not you know now here's the answer you are saved by the gospel the gospel is recorded in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through about 5 it's right down there um, let me read it to you really quickly and um, this and then in Romans chapter 10 it tells you about salvation as well but I'm gonna take it to one Corinthians 15 and it says right there moreover brethren I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you which also you received and in which you stand okay this is a saving message by which you also were saved if you hold fast the word that which i preached to you unless you believed in vain for i delivered to you first all that which i also received that christ died for our sins okay according to the, the scriptures old testament okay and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures okay that's the gospel then he talks about capha seeing him and all the people seeing him but anyway Uh, The gospel is that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And then in John chapter 10, I'm sorry, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse nine, it says that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, he is the Lord God. He is Jehovah of the Old Testament, because that's the only scripture they had at the time. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's how you're saved. There's no point in getting any muckier than that. That is salvation. There are people that believe that, and they attended a Presbyterian church when they were 15 years old, Uh and they heard the gospel and they were saved. And then they were told by some Jehovah's Witness, well, you need to come to our church because we're teaching the truth. That person is not going to lose their salvation. They have believed that he is God incarnate, that he died for our sins, and that he was raised again. It's done. Salvation is eternal. Okay, my good friend, he emails me with some of the most wonderful questions. He emailed me with a question this week, and it was very long and convoluted. It was a, an article from the Christian Post. And he said, can you give me an answer to these people? It was a back and forth. Verses for eternal salvation versus against the eternal salvation. And I said, I'm not going to do it. It's just, one, it's convoluted. They're citing Matthew. Matthew isn't after the resurrection. They're citing things from Hebrews, which is fine, but we don't need to go to Hebrews. We get our doctrine in the Gentile-led church age from Paul. Paul. That's right, from Romans until Philemon. Paul says we're saved, it's eternal, and any verse which Paul says it seems to contradict that, send me an email and I'll take care of that. And I told him, if you want, give me the specific Pauline verses and we can go through them. Or actually, I can just send him the commentary because we're almost done with Paul now. But it doesn't matter... All of these other verses that people throw in aren't even to be considered we get our doctrine from Paul that is where our church age doctrine comes from anything else is to support that all Scripture is God breathed it's profitable for the man of God for rebuking and teaching and you know the man of righteousness you know the verse anyway well, 1 Timothy 3 16 2 Timothy threes anyway um, but it, 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 it Is all that we need for this dispensation is to read Paul to understand the doctrine of salvation we believe Ephesians 1 13 and 14 we're sealed with the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. God doesn't make mistakes he says it's a guarantee if he takes that away then it's not a very good guarantee is it just logically you think those two verses through Ephesians 1 13 and 14 you don't need to go any further but there are lots of other verses that Paul confirms that okay salvation is eternal Any of those other verses are red herrings as far as this issue is concerned. Anyway, we'll go on. Um, Oh, let me get my notes. Um, So it says, um, he is, further any changes would imply movement of time, but he created time and therefore he has no potential to change. Even his thinking, we've talked about this, God doesn't think like we do. He doesn't think this, this, therefore this. When he created the world, he didn't say, I'm going to create the world and then I'm going to Uh, man is going to fall and then I'm going to send Jesus he didn't do that everything was known to God right when he created every single thing that would ever occur for all of history within the frame of time he knows he knows it immediately and he knows it intuitively there is no change in him because if there was a change in his thinking from one point to another it's not the God of the Bible change happens within the stream of time and he created time he knows everything there's nothing that we will ever outsmart God with, which people love to try to do. They try to outsmart God. Well, what about this? And what about that? He already knows. And he knew you'd ask that question. And he's <laughs> laughing at you right yes. now. So it says he in also the Psalms. knew that Jews were
1: crucified.
0: That's he knew. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Behold the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 13, 8. He knew that they would crucify Jesus. And he knew that he would usher in the Gentile-led church age. It was all known to him. And guess what? As long as we exist in heaven learning from God he will still know everything that will happen for eternity there's nothing that will ever be a surprise to him nothing new to him okay forever we will have his wisdom ceaselessly and endlessly revealed to us and it will be absolutely glorious for us and it will just be simply him revealing himself to us through Christ that is that is what we will go through okay And this is just how the Bible describes him. No potential to change. John 1, 18. Parts. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. God has no parts. Eternal. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. Is Jesus immortal? Yes, there you go. So he is God. Dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see to whom be honor and everlasting power amen 1 Timothy 6 15 and 16 pure actuality no potential for change Burke already said it I the Lord do not change Malachi 3 6 through this simple line of reasoning we can determine that God in fact cannot be unrighteous that's why Paul asked the question is God unrighteous certainly not He cannot be unrighteous if he is righteous then his righteousness is it cannot increase it cannot decrease the same is true with his truthfulness his love his grace his mercy his holiness and his justice (coughs) these attributes are perfectly represented in him without any change increase or decrease no change at all they define his character they define his nature I am that I am, and everything about me is. There is no change, okay? Understanding this, we can determine that no text, and I've said this, but I'm going to read it again, that claims to be from God, which shows otherwise, can be from God. It can't be. The Quran, and I've said this, for example, shows God is vindictive and changing. It cannot be true. Searching the world's collection of religious texts reveals. Only one document which correctly portrays God as he is, the Holy Bible. Mm -hmm. Paul will return to this source, which proclaims Jesus as the Messiah, to show us that there is no unrighteousness with God in his selection of some and his rejection of others. Mm -hmm. No unrighteousness in this. God is righteous, and when he selects, it is because it is part of his righteous nature Mm -hmm. to do so life application god is logical he's orderly and without contradiction or change he is transcendent above his creation but he works within it and he directs it as i said somewhat like a painter in his painting now i haven't read this in probably two years or more i don't remember why i did this commentary and it's nothing changes i don't need to you know it's there it's God doesn't change, and our thoughts about him should not change, okay? If we can grasp his nature, then we can see more clearly where we err in our theology, and we can correct it to align with his intent and his will for us as is revealed in the Bible. That's why I say the more you read the Bible, the more you listen to the Bible, the more that you will be in tune with what the Bible tells us about God. Now, there are things that are hard to understand. The Lord says, it says in the Bible, the Lord repented, and He turned around and he didn't destroy Israel. What is that talking about? It's talking about the lord jesus, the the one who is sovereign over Israel. Jesus did grow. Jesus did change his mind. Jesus did do these things, okay? He was capable of doing those things. He was capable of uh, growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, okay? He was capable of weeping. God cannot. God does not weep. He is not changing in his emotions at all in any way, shape, or form. If God changes in his emotions, it ain't the God of the Bible. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need that bridge between the human and the infinite. And we also need him to be our propitiation for our sins, to cover our sins, which we'll talk about this week, the Day of Atonement. We need these things in order to have this relationship restored to God. Yes. And for clarity purposes.
1: He relented,
0: right? Repent or relent? It depends on what Bible you, you read. Yeah, Some Bibles the definition would is what to change do? one's mind. Boom. Yeah, absolutely. But as I said, that would be Jesus saying, "I'm not." And also, more than that, more than even it being Jesus, because Jesus is Jehovah of the Old Testament. But even more than that, it is being written for whose perspective? For our perspective. God doesn't change his mind in any way, shape, or form, but it will say something which is called, uh, what is it, anthropomorphism. He will take the qualities of a human for us to understand what he is doing. He wasn't going to change his mind. He wasn't going to undo the cross of Jesus Christ. He wasn't going to destroy Israel, even when he said, I'm going to destroy Israel. He's doing these things for our benefit. So even more than just saying, copying out and saying, it's just Jesus and he can change, More than that, it is an anthropomorphism. God doesn't have hands, and yet, you know, it says the The Lord is the the hand of God, or is the right arm of the Lord too short, and all of these things. I, I said this one, but it'll help you to remember. It says the sun also rises. Well, guess what? The sun doesn't rise. The sun just sits out there, and the earth spins. And we see it from our perspective that the sun is rising, okay? It's written not with an error in it. It's written from man's perspective, These are the things that we need to understand, is that the Bible is written also about the redemption of man. It's not written about the redemption of animals. It's not written about the redemption of angels. None of those things pertain to what the Bible is written about. It's written about the redemption of man and how he is going to do that through his son, Jesus Christ, okay? Um, I said when I was speaking a minute ago that Jesus changes his mind, and he could have, but I don't want to make the mistake that Jesus— made a mistake and changed his mind that's not what i intended with that you know jesus could say well i'm going down to jerusalem i'm not going down to jerusalem yet and then he says he shows up there later remember that one in john where it says that so that doesn't mean that he made a mistake in his mind when he changed his mind it means that he wasn't going to do something at a certain time he was going to do it another so i want to make sure that somebody heard me say Jesus changes his mind it doesn't mean error in thinking it just means that he had the right to say I'm going to do this now and I'm going to do this later and oh I'm going to do this okay anyway right, um,
1: right. and a good point to that would be when he, when he raised Lazarus absolutely I mean he cried <laughs> Jesus wept God doesn't weep well but then why would he weep if he knows he's going to bring him out of the grave right away it's like he right. didn't change his
0: mind It's the humanity of Jesus. He's showing his humanity. But once again, God does not weep. God is impassionate. He has no passion where he will change in his emotions. We have to understand that because if we don't get that, then we start basing our theology on our emotions. And we cannot do that ever, ever. We cannot. If the Bible proclaims a truth, then that's what we have to stand on regardless of how we emotionally like that truth or not. It doesn't matter what we like. What matters is what the Bible proclaims. Okay, finish the life application. Never stop contemplating the nature of God as is revealed to us in his creation because he reveals himself through his creation. We see bumblebees and we can say, look at how intelligent he is. They make honey. They give us something that doesn't degrade. You can find a a jar of uh, honey. I think they found one in China that goes back thousands of years and it's still honey. Right, it's still edible. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. God is wisdom, right? Then we can know that God has a sense of humor because He created squirrels, right? Okay, I'm (laughs) kidding about that. Anyway, (laughs) we can know things about God from His creation, and we also can know things, more things about God from where? From His Word. That's right. So we want to. (laughs) God has revealed to us in His creation and in His Word. Creation is what we would call general revelation. God generally revealing himself to the people of the world such as Aristotle that is general revelation but in order for God to for us to understand God's means of salvation we must have what is called special revelation that is the prophet speaking that is the word of the Lord coming to somebody like David that is the scripture being written down for the people of israel and then that is jesus coming in human flesh and speaking the word of god to the people that is par excellence of special revelation and then what do we have we have the word of the apostles which explains what jesus said and what he did for us to understand special revelation general revelation they're two completely separate things but they both reveal to us the mind of god okay nine fifteen. go ahead for he says to Moses
1: I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion
0: okay very similar almost exact so again Paul returns to scripture he's going back to the fountain to make his case he asks the question is there unrighteousness with God in verse 14 he then answered certainly not to show that this is true from a scriptural standpoint he goes to the account of Moses as he led the Israelites in the desert In Exodus 32 came the account of the golden (laughs) idol, right? After their great and grievous sin, Moses pled with the Lord for a blanket forgiveness of the sins of the people. That was refused. Let me read it to you here. (laughs) It says here, 32 verse uh, 33. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book right however Aaron sinned in regard to the calf and yet he continued on as the high priest didn't he although not explicitly stated this then must be indicating that the sin was one of continued disbelief not just the sin of the golden calf in chapter 33 the Lord first states that because of their rebellion his presence wouldn't be in their midst as they made their journey to Canaan but rather his angel would go before them. Go back and watch those sermons. It's very interesting to watch it all develop. Moses then pled with the Lord for him to go with them. The reason was that if he didn't, then how could there be a distinction between them and the other people of the world? What better way could his grace be demonstrated? No better way. And so the Lord, after having so tested Moses in this way, agreed. So he didn't change his mind it was a test of Moses Mm -hmm. after this point we see the following exchange and he said please show me your glory then he meaning God said I will make all of my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion It is this statement from the Lord which Paul cites to demonstrate that there is, in fact, no unrighteousness with God. In order to understand this, both grace and mercy should be defined in a simple way for you to understand. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. It rains on good people and it rains on bad people. Rain in the Bible is considered as grace right? It just falls wherever it falls. We didn't do anything to deserve it. God is gracious and he gives us range. And I hope we get some at the house soon. Mercy is exactly the opposite. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Okay? That is mercy. God is merciful in not giving us what we do deserve. Day of Atonement, right? God didn't have to do that. He could have said, you all deserve to be destroyed, You all deserve condemnation, and that would have been the end of the argument. Nobody's going to stand before the Lord at their final condemnation at the great white throne and say, you are unrighteous. We're all getting what we deserve when we go to hell, right? God is merciful, and he sent us Jesus to keep us from going to hell. That is the difference, okay? So whether grace or mercy is being described, the same concept applies. God demonstrated mercy where it wasn't due. And he bestowed grace where it wasn't due as well not destroying the Israelites for their unfaithfulness was a demonstration of his mercy they rebelled and he could have just wiped them all out instead he gave Moses the chance to prove himself as the leader strap on your sword everybody who was on the side of the Lord go and kill your brother without you know uh, uh, distinction and they just went through and how many people fell about 3,000 died that day right and the bestowing of his goodness continuing to go with them was a demonstration of his grace he didn't have to do it but he was gracious and he did it anyway neither of these could be claimed by Israel neither one of them right they could only be accepted they could have said well, I don't want your mercy I want to die right now I blasphemed your name and I want to die okay zap, right or he could have said I don't want to go with you anymore I don't want your grace and he could have walked off and gone back to Egypt right but it had to be accepted. Likewise, the gift of his goodness passing before Moses was separate from any merit on Moses' part. The Lord didn't have to do that. He asked him, show me your your mercy or show me your goodness. He didn't have to do it. Moses asked for something that he did not deserve, and it was granted to him. Further, when he asked to see his glory, the Lord responded that I will make all of my goodness pass before you, right? That's grace right there. He offered it and he's going to do it. The glory requested is, in fact, pure goodness. This perfect goodness wasn't seen to Moses before this, it had been withheld. Moses had never seen it. That's why he wanted to see something new. If this is so, and the display was unique to Moses, then how could someone else claim that they deserved it? They couldn't. If they couldn't do this, then how could they claim that God is unrighteous? He, is in, he has unbounded goodness, which is unseen to human eyes and which is undeserved to those eyes. Then any display of his mercy and grace, which would reveal a portion of that goodness, is also unmerited. Everybody see the logic? Has everybody here seen the perfect goodness of God? No, Moses did. We have no right to claim it. But we will get it because we have called on Jesus right but somebody who hasn't called on Jesus is not going to get it except at the great white throne and they're going to do it without the covering and when they do it without the covering there will be only one possible effect for them the lake of fire they will be tormented for all of eternity by what their eyes had seen their sinful eyes without the covering of Christ all right that's getting what you deserve. We don't get what we deserve. We get the covering of Christ. We get the mercy and we get the grace of seeing God through the filter of Christ. Okay. That's why we're not going to see God, the father, because if we saw God, the father, we would see all of God in his fullness at that moment. And a human being cannot see the infinite. It is impossible. God is infinite. We are finite. We can never see God the Father in the sense that we will see all of him at one time. We will see him revealed through God the Son, okay? People have to get that right. When you say, I saw God the Father out on the clarifier at Sarasota Wastewater Plant, as the guy told me, that's insane, it's insane. He, yeah, he's on the clarifier. clarifier is what the sludge settles to the bottom and the water goes over the top. And he said, I saw God on the clarifier. What? People are crazy. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just insane anyway no there you go so uh, let's see here we stand on planet earth and we have been given life no guarantee was given when we were born and whatever our lot is came apart from our will okay some babies are born stillborn some people live a year and they die some people live 95 years and they're still healthy and some live to 110 and they're still healthy moses was 120 when he died and the lord just called him home it says that his natural vigor was not diminished and he could his eyes he could see, right? That's grace. He was developed by God in a certain way. We can't question why God does things. You know, when somebody dies and you think, why did God do this? Isaiah 57, one is a nice place to take them. Hey, let me take you there really quickly, just <clears throat> so you know. It's a nice place. To, you don't have the answer, but it might help them think that, well, maybe this is better than what I thought. It says there. In Isaiah 57 1 the righteous perishes I'm not saying the person is righteous but this is a logical example why somebody might die earlier and no man takes it to heart merciful men are taken away when no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil now, I'm not claiming that the person that died that was 27 years old was righteous but maybe something worse would have happened to that person and the Lord was merciful to take him even if he was unsaved the Lord saved him from something worse that would have happened. We don't know why God does the things he does. He does them, and we have to accept them. We may be brokenhearted. We may be crushed, but we cannot question why God does things that he does. He is God, and we are man, okay? So that's just the way that that is. We're on planet Earth. There was no given before guarantee given. We don't deserve more, but because of the conduct of our lives, we certainly deserve less even a withholding of his grace or a withholding of his mercy. All of this is seen in this one verse right here. If you think it through, we could go on all day with this verse, the things that happen in our lives and the circumstances. I can't go on too long with the verse because I have somebody that checks my work every single morning for typos because I can't check my own typos. And if you read what I post, you know that because there's always typos and then later they're corrected. (laughs) It's because he sends me corrections of them, right? But when I do these things he, he says quite often I wish you wouldn't get so long winded with your commentaries and my answer is always the same back to him I will never type this commentary again in my life I did it once before and I didn't save it and I ain't doing it again when I preach on Leviticus 23 26 through 32 I'm never going back to preach on those verses again it is forward when I finish these commentaries I'll go on to something else but I will never do this again And so I'm going to get what I can out of it so that when people read it, they can say, well, I have a developed theology on that particular verse. That's why I do that. So if he doesn't like it and he knows that he doesn't, or I know that he doesn't, we just kind of bicker back and forth to each other. (laughs) He's a very helpful soul. Anyway, um, God is sovereign and whatever goodness he bestowed upon us is completely unmerited. We have no right to make a claim on anything beyond what we have, whatever it is that we have. That's why theft is such a a crime. That's why it's one of the Big Ten. is because people are making a claim on something that isn't theirs. That's why liberalism in the government is so anti-God. In every way, every precept that they put out is anti-God. Kill the babies. Take money from people that have earned it. Go on and on and on. It is always an ungodly thing that they're doing. And I'm not saying that the right is godly, but they tend to make decisions that are proper for the functioning of the government not always okay i understand that but the left never does it is always an ungodly stand that they take i can't think of one thing other than the support of israel that the left i agree on anything and that's not because of politics that's because of this word and my understanding of what this word says nothing absolutely nothing. Homosexual issues and, and, you know, immigration issues, everything comes down to an immoral stand against mm-hmm. what the creator just the would opposite. say. Just the, just the opposite, and you're probably going to be okay. You might not be, but you're probably going to be okay. That's absolutely right. Okay, we can't demand something that we don't have. Try going outside and yelling at the sky. I demand to be rich, right? <laughs> Guess what? People do it in churches all what? the time. Prosperity gospel? Come on, you I gotta be kidding. They, do? they claim in Jesus' name, I claim that BMW that my sister has, I claim that for myself. They claim prosperity. They send in their money with the hope of getting more money back. God becomes to them a cosmic ATM. I'm going to give something to the church and God is going to bless me. That is the wrong reason for giving to a church. They wake up? I have to t- that's the prosperity gospel. There's one here in Sarasota, right over in Lakewood Ranch, where when they first opened one of their first services, everybody was shouting, money, money, (gasps) money, because they thought this is our ticket is by going to church and claiming things in Jesus' name. So go outside and do that. I demand to be rich. What do you think will be the result? Now apply this to salvation as humans. Same thing. Think of it. Salvation is humans. We are to demand heaven. Is that what we're going to do? Is that what, because that's what you hear at every single funeral you ever go to. He's earned his place in heaven. This person deserves to be in heaven because he's not a Hitler. It doesn't matter. God does not grade on a bell curve. There is one standard and one standard alone. Who are we to earn heaven? And who are we to claim heaven based on our human Lineage, getting it back to the Jews, right? That's what Paul is doing. That's what I'm doing. I'm giving you all these things to think about so you can come right back to the Jew. And you can see that the faulty teaching of dual covenantalism is exactly that mm-hmm. faulty teaching. You cannot claim anything based on your lineage, and you cannot claim anything based on the law of Moses. Mm-hmm. The law of Moses is obsolete, it is annulled, it is set aside, it is nailed to the cross, it is done. As Jesus said, it is finished. It's over. Okay? We can't make a claim against God based on any of these things. And because we can't, then how can we find unrighteousness in God? Jew or Gentile, we are actually all in exactly the same boat. There's one boat, and we better get out of it, and there's only one way to get out of it. Life application. We've got 15 minutes, one more verse after this. Moses asked to see the glory of the Lord. The Lord responded that he would cause all of his goodness to pass before him. Moses' eyes beheld the Lord's glory by beholding his goodness. Now on this side of the cross, we have that same honor. John one fourteen says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. The glory of the Lord is revealed in the person of Jesus. All of the goodness of God, his grace and his truth is seen in Jesus. How can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And how can we make a claim against God when he has so revealed himself to us? We can't. God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus and it is done. No other avenue, no, ever, no other possibility. As I'll say in this week's sermon, I'll say it right now, but I'll say it again this week that's it baby that is it there is no other way to getting to God I know I say it every sermon but I'll say it again this sermon the day of atonement Wow what I think I said this to this class last week maybe I said it in Sunday you know I I just am amazed how many verses is that 26 through 32 4 5 6 verses and I thought I just am not gonna be able to make a sermon out of that you know we just went through Leviticus 16 and that was three sermons just packed with information Mm -hmm. And we got a great sermon, I think, coming out of that one. Well, we'll see. You'll you'll be the the deciders if it's great or not. But I I just am so excited about those few verses and what they reveal. It's a little shorter than most sermons. It's like twenty pages last instead of whatever. But, the what? Last week was. A
1: little
0: yeah, last week was shorter story. too. Well, we only had three verses, so you know. But I got a compliment from somebody about that sermon, which I usually just delete emails when I'm done because I. I'm going to save it forever. Burke. you made my day, buddy. You made my day. Romans 9.16. we got to get done because I got scolded for going over uh, 90 minutes. If I go over 90 minutes in this class, it causes the uh, megahertz rating to go up on uh, something. And, it, it, yeah, we, we've got to be done in nine minutes. <laughs>
1: It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy.
0: Okay, so then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. little different, but same end result. Okay, 916, so then is given as a result of what Paul has been saying about election. He cited the case of Abraham's promise leading to Isaac, which means Ishmael was not selected despite what the Muslims today say, he wasn't selected. Sorry. Not only that, but it was announced to him that his long barren wife, Sarah, would have a child and that it would be a son. He then cited the account of Jacob, who was selected as the son of choice over Esau prior to the birth of the two twins. Remember, we went through all this last week. Esau being rejected. This occurred before they had done any good or evil. Before anything had happened except some punching in the womb. Remember that? Yes. All right? Other than that, he'd already made the choice. Following this, he cited the account of Moses and was and quoted what Exodus 33 verse 19 said to show that God's sovereign decisions are in no way unrighteous. Went through that today. With these points settled, Paul now says, so then, Understanding these things, we now know that it is not of him who wills. Right? I will. It's not of me, sorry. From this context, we can discern that this statement is not speaking about free will. In other words, this is not a text to say that we do not choose Christ. It is a text that says that God's election is based on his foreknowledge and his direction. That in no way negates our choice. God chose Isaac. And rejected Ishmael as the son of promise. God also chose Jacob and likewise rejected Esau. Is there anything in Scripture to indicate that either Esau or Ishmael or Esau was not saved? Is there anything in Scripture to tell us that? No, absolutely not. Esau is called a fornicator and a profane person in Hebrews, but it's speaking of what he did at a particular time. Not every choice he made. Paul speaks about himself in a similar manner in 1 Timothy 1.13, doesn't he? He says, although I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent man. So we can't use that text about Esau and say Esau wasn't saved. Because Paul was the same thing before he came to Christ, right? He who wills is speaking of our state before God. We do not will where we will be born nobody does I don't say I want to be born in Sarasota Florida and that's where I happen to come out that doesn't work that way all right we don't will where we will be born we won't we don't will what family we would be born to I didn't will to be born to cope and Susan Garrett that wasn't my will it just happened that way okay none of us willed where we would be born or who would we would be born to these are sovereign choices of God but they in no way indicate that we are not granted free will. Big difference between the two. These things, all of them, decided by God are a part of who we are and all bear on the free will choices that we make. But the choice is ours nonetheless. Did Esau not choose to sell his birthright? Yes, he chose to do it. For what? A A bowl of soup. That's right. Or as it says in the King James Version, a mess of pottage. Okay. Did God not know that he would do so in advance? Absolutely he did. But he still made the choice. God didn't do it for him. He knew that Esau would be uh, what's the profane person and he'd sell off his birthright. But Esau made the choice. Does God advanced knowledge, and I talked about this last week, does it somehow change the fact that Esau made the choice? Because that's what people say. They say, well, if God knows the choice we're going to make about Jesus, then he sovereignly chose it for us no not at all not even close And the example of esau shows us this and every other example in the bible shows us this the brothers of joseph sold off their brother god knew what they would do but it didn't doesn't mean that god made them do it they chose to do it and it was called evil in the bible wasn't it what you saw as evil god saw for good right he used it for good i should say
1: what a great story that story to, to jews who Suddenly, come to Christ. Absolutely, like you are. You know, no matter what your absolutely your, your lineage did to Christ on the cross,
0: it's like you are. You are free from that guilt it is for good. Absolutely <laughs> right, and that is actually reflected in that story when the brothers finally realize who Joseph yeah. is. It's mm-hmm. them finally realizing at the end of the age. Who Christ is, and they will come and they will bow down before their king. It is all there. Mm -hmm. And that shows you the unlimited mercy of God. This being stated about Esau by Paul and now understood by us, we can proceed to the next point, which is that it is also not of him who runs. The term he uses here is trekontos. This is a word used to describe an athlete in competitive games. When they are so engaged, They run with all of their effort and with intent and purpose, don't they? This isn't saying that we as individuals don't earnestly strive to be saved. People all over the world are doing so. We have people in shopping malls that pull the string and blow themselves up, thinking they're going to heaven because of that. Oh, I'd say it right here. Some strive by blowing themselves up for their salvation. Some strive by going to church and praying to Mary and saying the rosary. Some strive by joining a monastery. Martin Luther, he did that for years. It didn't work out so well for him, and so on. All of these things, people are striving to be saved. Despite such effort of the will, there's no merit for salvation. That's what Paul is saying. It's not of him who wills. It's not of him who runs, right? The person who rightly pursues God and the person who wrongly pursues him are both dependent on his mercy. However, only those who rightly pursue him will receive it. That's why I'm so adamant against the Hebrew Roots movement. They're not rightly pursuing God. They're falling back on the law, which is done. They are not (laughs) rightly pursuing God. They have not come to God's saving final grace through Jesus Christ. And until they do, they they ain't in the right boat. They're in the wrong boat and the plug is pulled, right? We can run the race all that we want rightly or wrongly and in the end it doesn't change our need for what God grants Muslims blowing themselves up is the perfect example of that mm-hmm. rightly or wrongly God does not grant them that based on intent intent doesn't matter the only thing that matters is what God has done and that we accept what God has done all right we know this is so because Paul uses the same word for runs twice In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, where he says, do you not know that those who run in a race, um, yeah, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. How could he say this if it weren't so? Mm -hmm. Different people are running, right? But not all the people are going to get the prize. Mm -hmm. I can run all I want in the Jehovah's Witness, but I'm not going to get the prize because I'm not running the right way, Okay. Life application, and we are done. Good, just on time. In the end, salvation is of the Lord. Thank you. Right out in the book of Jonah, salvation is of the Lord. The plan of salvation is his, and it is up to us to accept that plan. There is nothing we can will. We can't will anything in our salvation to change it, and there is no amount of effort. It doesn't matter how long we try. It is an eternal climb to get to God eternal because he's infinite more finite we can climb for all of eternity we can do everything that we want for all of eternity and we won't be any closer to God zero zip it doesn't matter the only thing that matters is that the bridge has been made through the God man he's infinite because of his father he's finite because of his mother the human race and so he can reach out and he can put his hand between the two and he can say I am that bridge I am the one to restore you to the father and there is no other way i wish people could understand this all right we must come to christ in order to receive god's mercy that's the only way it's ever going to happen we're done with verse 917 we'll be in that next week and And it's uh, free it is free that's the great thing about it is that it is free what a gift what a what a remarkable thing that god has done for us in jesus christ so we got about 30 seconds or so to say a prayer Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for the chance to come in here, to share in your word, to study what Paul has laid out as inspired by the Holy Spirit, and how marvelous it is to think about these things and to contemplate them, and then to realize that they are, that they actually are, is that we can will all we want to be restored to you, we can hope all we want to be restored to you, and it doesn't change anything, but when Jesus has entered into the equation, all things become new. All things become possible. All things are reconciled because of what you did through him. Wow, what a blessing it is to contemplate these things. What an absolute marvel it is. How blessed we are, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that we had this class tonight. Thank you for your word. I pray there's nothing here that I said that is incorrect tonight. And uh, I would just pray that each person here would be responsible enough for their doctrine to go out and to think about these things and to check the word and to show themselves approved as they continue on in your presence. And Lord, we just love you and we praise you how good you are to us. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your unlimited mercy, which is found in Christ. And it's in his beautiful and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh yes, let me back this baby up. (laughs) Let's see here. We'll say goodbye to the folks online. Let's see here. We got break. There we are. Okay, everybody. Have a wonderful week. We love you so much. We'll hope to see you on Sunday. Bye-bye. You what? (laughs) You (laughs) what? Well, it to some some oh,
1: Thai.
0: Okay, okay. I'll, uh, you want to go pick it up or do you want me? Usually
1: no, you, want like, yeah.
0: no, you want me to pick it up? Uh, no, 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 no. You want Thai food, right? And, and you said yes first. You know. Why? Do you have food already cooked? No, I'm no there. then I'm going to go. I'm going to go get Thai food. That's all there is to it. I just